Thank you for joining us today. The following is a message from North Place Church. Our hope is that it will inspire you, uplift you, and bring you closer to Christ. If you would like to visit the video of this message, visit our website at northplacechurch.com watch. It's uh, our privilege to be with you. We are very fond of uh, Pastor Brian and Haley, and as well as the whole team here, and so excited about the great job that uh, Pastor John and the rest of the team is, is doing here at North Place. What a privilege for us to be a part of your family, although we have a little different accent. Uh, my apologies for that. Um, you must uh, feel free to just uh, relax and enjoy. And like the lady that listened to me preach a couple of weeks ago, she said, uh, she came up to me after preaching in Austin and she said, uh, Pastor Yuri, I just love your accent. And, and I, I said, well, that's, that's fantastic. She said, yes, she can listen to me for hours, she continued to say. Um, she doesn't understand a word I'm saying, but she can listen to me for hours. So uh, if you don't understand a word I'm saying, feel free, smile, nod, you know, just whatever, but, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we're, we're a couple of weeks away from, uh, we're a couple of weeks away from Easter, and I, I've been hearing about the great things God has been doing here in the, in the last couple of weeks as you're preparing and readying yourself, not just practically, but spiritually for this high watermark point in the, in the Christian calendar, this, this moment that really reminds us of the moment that it's all about. And uh, I'm so excited about how God has been preparing you up until now, and I'm really excited about how God is continuing to prepare you in conversations with Pastor Brian about sharing this morning. I was stirred by what he had on his heart for next week, and I want to encourage you, don't let spring break in any way deter you from uh, in full partaking of this journey together as you go through it. But I remember growing up, the anticipation around Easter had very little to do with what Easter was about initially, and for a lot of it was around candies and sweets and chocolates and all of those things that, that Easter has to do with. It's a dangerous time of year. It's a dangerous time of year to go to the store because um, this time of year, you find those things that you're not allowed to leave alone at store, okay? And it's, it, of course, is a new type of chocolate, when they come out with a new type of chocolate, they've done a lot of effort, they've, they've worked hard at it, and they've brought out this new type of chocolate, and the least you could do is taste it, I mean, for crying out loud. So please be well-mannered and, and be kind to those who make chocolates and try every new type of chocolate. If you can't afford that, just stay out of the stores this time of year. I, I, just, I just feel it's, it's one of those times of year that it's very dangerous to go to the store. But, I mean, the, even Reese's, I mean, you can find a white chocolate Reese's Easter egg. I mean, come on. Okay, now I've lost some of you, okay? You're, you're completely over. Well, it's okay. Well, hold on. Hang with me a little bit. But I remember growing up that my, my grandma, we would every Easter travel to my grandma in a, in a little place called uh, Harry Smith in, uh, in the Free State, Central South Africa. And we would every Easter, we would go visit her. And, and when we visited her, there was all kinds of candies and things involved in, in the Easter celebration. But the one thing I'll never forget is she did something that she remembered from her childhood that they used to do for Easter. And she did it for us every time. She would hide Easter eggs in the garden. But not just any Easter eggs. I'm not talking about these fake little chocolate thingies that are empty inside. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, how is it a chocolate Easter egg if there's nothing inside? I mean, that's like the ultimate disappointment in life. 
I'm, I'm still getting over that. But And those bunnies, I mean those hollow, empty bunnies. What is sadder than a hollow, empty bunny? I, I, I mean, surely they can fill it up with chocolates or something. I just put something in there. But um, clearly I'm passionate about this. But uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that my grandma used to take actual chicken eggs, okay? And this is a little gross, but hang with me. She, she would make a little hole at the top and a bigger hole at the bottom. And then she would run the egg from the egg, okay? So she'll get all the egg out of the egg. And then she'll wash the inside, carefully wash the inside of the egg. She'll fill it up with all kinds of candies, okay? So she'll put all kinds of candies in there, Smarties. Now, those of you that don't know what a Smartie is, a Smartie is an M&M, only better. I'm not discriminating against M&M. I love all kinds of M&Ms. I love white M&Ms. I love dark M&Ms. I love peanut M&Ms. I love crunchy M&Ms. I love any type of M&Ms. I'm not discriminating. I'm only saying Smarties are better, okay? So forgive, taste and see that the Smarties good, okay? So the fact of the matter is she, she would fill these up with Smarties and jelly tots and all kinds of candies that you've never heard of in your life. And then she would, she, she would put a little piece of tape over it and then she would decorate this actual egg all around with different paints and different colors. And then she will take this egg and she will hide them in the garden for us to go and look for them. And um, every year after year, I mean, we, we would arrive at the house and into the garden we go looking for these Easter eggs and we would find them and you'd crack them open and you'll get the whole satisfaction of cracking open the actual egg, but you don't find gooey, gross egg inside, you find all these different candies. And uh, one year we came and, and, and I don't know what went wrong with the production process that year, but I, I found one of these eggs in the garden and I cracked it open and it was empty. It was void. There was nothing inside. There are moments in life that we feel empty. I brought along the definition for the word empty, as you'll find it on Google. You guys can put that up. But it's having nothing inside, holding or containing nothing, unfilled, unfilled, lacking force or power, being empty, being done being spent, lacking purpose, meaningless, lacking substance, devoid or destitute. The disciples had an empty moment by the cross. See, we often talk about the empty grave, the, the end of the story around Easter when the grave was empty and Jesus Christ rose again. He, he did what he came to do, died for our sins, took captivity captive and, and led this glorious procession of life as he emptied the grave. You can go see the grave in Israel. It is empty. There are no bones there. There is no death there. There is no body there. He is alive. He is risen and he has conquered sin and death. We like that bit of Easter, but I'm not talking about that bit of Easter right now. I'm talking about the other bit of Easter. Three days before, it, Sunday was coming, but it was Friday, and on Friday, the cross was empty, and never has there been a more empty moment in the life of the disciples. Jesus was their hope. He was the one that was supposed to make it all better. He was the one that was supposed to come and heal them from their guilt and from their distance and from their hardships. He was the one that was supposed to bring life and set them free. But right now, the cross was empty. 
There was no one on the cross because it was over. I am sure the disciples were waiting by the cross for the moment that this would turn around and this, like any good old Rocky movie, would turn around and suddenly the hero would come off the cross and he would be alive, but he wasn't. He was dead and the cross was empty and their hearts were empty. And how deep must the disappointment have been of that moment by an empty cross? Purposeless, lifeless, hopeless, empty. And as they stood there by an empty cross, and they looked at the cross, it must have felt empty. Cross and empty or a cross and empty, is difficult to imagine. How can a cross be empty? Most of the time when we think empty, we think vessel. We think of, of something like a, a cup that is empty. To think of a cross as empty, it's hard to think that the, the cross was empty per se. Now, it was empty because Jesus wasn't on it anymore, but it was an empty cross, but it was also an empty cup. The cup was empty, as empty as that egg my grandma hid for me as empty as your heart might be today. Empty. The cup was empty. This cup, this cup that was drank was empty. It was a cup that Jesus used to refer to the cross. Do you remember that a little bit? Just before the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified on the cross, he referred to the cross not as a cross, but he called it a cup. Have you ever read that? It's in Luke. We, we find a reference in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, where it's called a cup. It's, Jesus said this, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus comes to the point where he's about to go to the cross, and when he's about to go to the cross, Jesus flinches. Have you ever flinched away from something that was about to happen to you? Have you, have you, have you had that, that plaster that had to be ripped off, and you, you flinched at the thought of what was about to happen? Have you ever watched your kids play, and you, you suddenly realize that this is going to go wrong, and it's going to go wrong quickly, but you can't be there quick enough, so you flinch because something is about to happen. We flinch in life when we fear what is about to come, what made Jesus flinch from the cross? What was so intense? What was so great that he came to a point where he flinched? Jesus went, I can't do this. I, I, this, this is too much for me. Lord, if at all possible, let this cup pass me by. But not my will, your will be done. What was in the cup that was so terrible, so bad? What was in the cup that it made him so fear having to drink this cup, having to empty this cup? What was in the cup? See, we flinch in life. I, I, I remember as a little kid, my mom had a very, very effective 
uh, medicine for when you had stomach ache. I don't know what this medicine is called. I cannot recommend it to you, but I know that it was very effective. In fact, it was so effective that the mere mention of this medicine made your stomach perfectly okay. It was such a vile, bad medicine that my mom just needed to say, oh, your tummy hurts. Let me go get you some medicine. Oh, I'm feeling fine. Don't worry. I'm good. I'm going to school, mom. No pain here. It was real effective medicine. But whenever that medicine was mentioned, it made me flinch. It made me flinch to the extent that I was fine. I, I remember little Josh, he was growing up and he, was, he, he, he got sick and we had to look after him. And, and, and when he got sick, what happened was he, we'd have to give him this medicine. But after the first time, he realized that he didn't like the medicine. So he would flinch from having the medicine. He would, he would literally turn his head. He couldn't run away yet. I, I'm sure if he could, he would. But he was lying in our arms and he figured out that this medicine is bad. So we'll have a spoon from the one side and then he'll turn his head and then we'll, we'll bring the spoon over and then he turn his head. Then we figured out we needed two spoons. So when the one came with the spoon and when he turned his head, the other one would put it in his mouth. We're not bad parents, I promise. It was for his own good. Don't look at me like that. It made him flinch. What made Jesus flinch? What made Jesus give it a second thought? What made Jesus go, this is a little bad? It could be the physical agony that was lying ahead of him. I mean, the cross was physical agony. They took, they took leather strips and they tied bones to it and they, they whipped him on his back until the skin was torn off with these little bones. And then they put a, a, a crown of thorns on his head, the, the thorns of which broke through his skull or broke through his skin onto his skull. And they nailed him to a wooden cross with the with steel nails being driven through his very arms with the screeching against the bone as he was nailed up there and hung on a cross. There was some physical agony involved. And he might have flinched for the physical agony, but I, I'm convinced that there was more to it. See, there was emotional agony involved. He was portrayed by one of the ones that he chose, that he journeyed with. He sold him out for a couple of silver pieces, I mean, for crying out loud. He sold him out like a cheap thing to be given away. And his own people would turn to him. His own disciples, one after the other, will deny even knowing who he was. Those that he healed those that he taught, those that he fed, those that cried Hosanna, oh Lord save us, would turn around crying for his blood, choosing a cheap criminal like Barnabas over him, crying out, crucify him, kill him, get him. The people that he loved and came to give his life for would turn against him. There was emotional agony involved. But I don't think he flinched for that. I think what he flinched for was more than the physical agony, more than the emotional agony. I think what caused Jesus to flinch in this moment, what caused him to draw back, what caused him to think again, was the worst thing about the cross. And the worst thing about the cross 
was the fact that all the wrath, all the judgment, all the guilt, all the pain and all the brokenness of everything that has been done for all of history, every bit of sin that has crept into mankind for all of time and every bit of sin that will creep into mankind for all time to come, all the judgment, all the righteous anger towards that was bottled up into one little moment. And all of that was poured out onto Jesus. And as he took all of that, it says that Jesus cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't referring to any physical or emotional pain. He was referring to the spiritual reality of what happened on the cross. That is the worst moment in all of history. When he took that cup and he emptied it. He drank every last drop of poisonous, deadly judgment. The idea that God's judgment towards us is bottled up in a cup was nothing new. Here's before the prophet Isaiah would be writing and speaking to the, to the, the people of Jesus' day or the the people of Israel years before Jesus' day, and he would speak to the people of Israel as they were taken captive into, into a foreign land, and they've, they've been experiencing hardships, the result of their turning against God, the result of their forsaking the ways of God. And the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 51 verse 17, he says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Israel, you who have drunk at, drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, you have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling. Referring to all of our sins and all of their brokenness and all of their forsaking God that has caused them to fill up a cup of judgment over them. And they had to drink this cup of judgment. You see, because here's the thing. His, his judgment is bottled up as in a cup. It's, it's brought together like in a cup, and what we deserve is God's judgment. What our sin deserves is God's judgment. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says it clearly. The wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? Yes, you have. Well, what you deserve is death. We go on about human rights and everything that we deserve in life, and I deserve this, and I deserve that, and you deserve that, can I tell you that the only thing we deserve is we deserve death. Yeah. Humankind has forsook the very image that gave us life. We have turned our backs on the very essence of what gives us the right to live, and we have lost that right. We are condemned to death because of our sins. The wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death. Now when that punishment, when that result of sin is, is being referred to as a cup of poison, it's, it's being kind. 
See, here's the thing, in, 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 in biblical times, when, when you were condemned to death, you would be crucified on a cross, or your head would be chopped off, or you would be torn apart by horses. They had all these, these terrible ways of, of, of killing people that were condemned to death. But if they were kind, if they were feeling especially merciful, and, and you deserved mercy, what they would do as a sign of mercy is rather than killing you in a horrific way, they would hand you a cup of poison, and you would drink the cup of poison, your execution, your dignity preserved as you partook of the cup of judgment that was pronounced over you. Another favorite thing that they would do in those biblical times is if they wanted to get rid of somebody for political reasons or for power reasons, they would, they would poison their drink. And they would give them a poisonous drink to assassinate somebody and to get rid of somebody. But there was a, there was a guard against this. It was so common in that day that they found a way to guard against it. And the way that they guarded against it is they, kings and noblemen and people of great importance would have cupbearers. Have you ever heard of a cupbearer? Now, a cupbearer is not to be confused with a barista, okay? It's not the same thing. Now, I know that a lot of you baristas are important in your life, and it's, you know, civilized life isn't possible without good coffee, or so I've been told. The fact of the matter is, however, that a cupbearer was a little different. What a cupbearer did is he was the one that bore the cup. He would carry the cup, and, and if you were to drink anything, you would only drink from his hand. He will hand you the cup that you would drink from, but before he would hand you the cup, he would taste what is handed to you, and he would make sure that there is no poison in there, and if there were poison in there, he would take the poison on your behalf, famous of which is Nehemiah. Cupbearer to the king. See, we too have a cupbearer. We too have a cupbearer. We have one that has taken the cup on our behalf, that has taken the cup of judgment that has been pronounced over us, that has taken the cup of our sin, and though he flinched at the reality of it, our cupbearer has drunk the cup. He has emptied the judgment over your life. Yeah. He has taken that which was intended for your destruction upon himself. He has drank that why? Because his desire is that we might live in the fullness of life. His desire is that there is no reason. He has emptied the cup so that we do not need to live in emptiness anymore. He has emptied the cup of judgment. He has taken God turning his face from him. He has taken the sum total of the wrath of God over the sins of mankind upon himself. And he has done that. He has emptied that so that we do not need to live in emptiness. And maybe you're in a space this morning.
where you are in a place where you feel as if you are empty, done, your expectations has been shattered, and just like the disciples by that cross, or like that young Yuri that found an empty Easter egg, you feel as if your hopes has been dashed, and there is no more life, there is nothing left to give. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ came for someone like you, for someone that feels and knows the depths of emptiness that there is in sin and brokenness and hopelessness. And he has come to bring you life. See, Jesus came and that same night that he prayed and he said, Lord, would you take this cup from me? That same night he handed his disciples a cup. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25. Jesus comes and he says this. He says that that night after the meal, Jesus took the cup of wine in his hands and said, this is my blood. And with it, God makes his new agreement with you. God is in agreement with you. God is in agreement with you. God has brought about a new covenant for us. He has filled a cup for us. He has readied it. And yes, it is true that the wages of sin is death. But that is not the end of the scripture. There is a but. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Yes, you deserve the cup of death. Yes, you deserve the poison of guilt and the poison of shame. You deserve that cup, but that cup is empty. It has been drunk. And this day, in this moment, Jesus is holding out to you another cup. He's holding out to you another agreement. He's holding out to you the fullness of life that comes from partaking of His cup. And He's holding out that cup, but He says, do this, drink this in remembrance of me. Our cupbearer stood in our place, took our poison, and he is handing us another cup. And when we drink of this cup, man, when we partake of this life, Something happens in us. Something happens for us. Emptiness becomes fullness. And fullness becomes more than just being filled up to the middle or filled up to the brim. It becomes flowing over. Years before David prophesied in Psalm 23 verse 5 when he said you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup runs over and may I prophesy over your emptiness may I prophesy over your lack may I prophesy over you in your place of guilt in your place of hopelessness in your place of energylessness in your place of struggle, may I prophesy and speak over you. May your cup run over. Not a cup of sin or shame. There is not a drop left of that. Your cupbearer had it all. And for you, he offers another cup.
would you come this day? And God, God, may we partake of your cup. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that continues to go back to that empty cup, the empty cup of sin, the empty cup of shame, the empty cup of distance. Lord, may that cup pass us by as it didn't pass Jesus by, but he drank it, he emptied it, and now there is another cup. Lord, we want to partake of your cup, the cup of your new covenant, the cup that you are holding out to us, the life that you have ready for us. Lord, may we partake of that cup this day. Lord, may emptiness be replaced with fullness. Well, then the space of my voice, Lord, may you come through your Holy Spirit right now. And Lord, may you take the wages of sin being death. May you remove death and its sting and its brokenness, Lord. May you come and replace sin with life. May you replace brokenness, emptiness, hopelessness with fullness. Lord, I thank you that our guilt, our cup of guilt is empty and our cup of acceptance is full. Lord, I thank you that the cup of unforgiveness has been drank and the cup of forgiveness is full. The cup that you hand us is full of forgiveness, full of life, full of hope, full of energy. And Lord, I pray for the people within the sound of my voice, Lord, that they will not only be filled up with your life and your fullness, God, not just to the brim, but Lord, may they pour out. May they fill up. May they pour out. May they spill over. May their cup run over with goodness and life that will surely follow them all the days of their lives. And Lord, as they spill over, God, may they not only have a cup bearer, God, may they be cup bearers to the broken and the needy and the empty out there. Lord, may they hold out their hands with your cup, your cup full of life, full of goodness, full of mercy, full of forgiveness. Lord, may this city not be the same. May this nation not be the same because people partake of another cup. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at North Place and on Facebook at facebook.com slash North Place Church. To watch the video of this message, go to northplacechurch.com slash watch.